and welcome to the reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Sunday, December 25th, Christmas Day, 2022. I'm your reader, Paula Carezzi. Today's weather in the Waterloo Cedar Falls area will include some sun and then cloudy. It will be a cold day with a high of 10 and winds from the west-northwest at 7 to 14 miles per hour. On the front page of today's Courier is an article written by Melody Parker titled, Christmas Dinner is Served. Westminster feeds free meal to 400 to 500 diners. With a winter storm bearing down, organizers and volunteers at Westminster Presbyterian Church soldiered on in preparation for their 42nd annual Christmas Day dinner. Today, they expect to serve 400 to 500 people at the free event, a multitude gathered to break bread together and share in the Christmas spirit. Snowblowers and shovels were at the ready to make sure people attending could get into the parking lot and easily access the church entrance. Quote, we have a good crew of volunteers. In all of these years, we've only had to cancel one time. If the weather is nice, we have a larger crowd, but we carry on in spite of bad weather because people will make it out and make it here. Even if it takes longer to get here, they come, said organizer Mary Lisa Mueller. Reservations were required for the free meal. This was the first time two seatings were offered at noon and 1 p.m., an effort to make service more hospitable for guests and efficient for volunteers, organizers said. The community meal feeds the body but also the spirit for those in need of companionship and holiday cheer. Quote, it's important that people have a place to go to celebrate Christmas. The community sees this as a welcome tradition. Maybe they can't afford their own meal or don't have any family to celebrate with or just want to come and spend time celebrating with others, Mueller explained. Quote, everybody is welcome regardless of faith. We don't turn anyone away. If you don't have transportations, we provide transportation, end quote. Decorations create a festive atmosphere, and live music performances are planned throughout the dinner service. Typically, the church serves 400 to 500 meals. Mueller said, at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, the meal was offered as a cold dinner that people could reserve in advance and pick up for Christmas Day. Quote, this year we're doing a hybrid model because people still have health concerns They had the option of picking up a cold meal to reheat at home, or they could join us for the meal, end quote. A low-key service is planned at the church this morning with cookies and punch available at 10 a.m. That's about the time people begin lining up for the dinner. Folks who ordered a meal to go pick those up curbside from 10 to 11 a.m. About 75 volunteers are participating this year. Volunteers are active behind the scenes, planning, setting up, and decorating, while others are out front, serving as ushers and greeters to make the public feel welcome, and as servers. Quote, we have a lot of folks from the congregation, but we also have community members of all ages who volunteer. Many have volunteered from year to year. They say it's a good experience for them and something they look forward to, so they keep coming back, working and joining us for dinner, Mueller said. Bob and Judy Brown organized the first free community dinner in 1981 and coordinated it for 34 years. Quote, 
Originally, I thought about how it must feel to be alone on Christmas. I couldn't imagine how hard that could be, Brown recalled. His Sunday school class at Westminster had been discussing, quote, getting outside the walls of the church, end quote, for a project, and offering Christmas dinner was the perfect idea. That first year, 50 people gathered, volunteered, and about 50 people attended. It grew exponentially, and at the height of the 1980s farm crisis, as many as 700 people partook in the free meal, Brown said. Quote, I got more out of it than the many people we served ever did. For me, it was pure joy. I'm so happy they continued with it, added Brown, who often still attends. Mueller volunteered with her daughter, Teresa, for many years before Mueller took over as coordinator. She's proud of all the effort and support from church members, volunteers, and the community. For many years, Westminster has worked closely with Crossroads High V to order and prepare the food. Quote, they work with us on getting everything ready so volunteers can warm up dishes at the church to serve. Hy-Vee also assembles the to-go meals, Mueller explained. Turkey and ham, mashed potatoes and gravy, stuffing, green beans, sweet potatoes, coffee, and punch were on this year's holiday menu. Quote, I have no clue how many pounds of food hy prepares. I just know it's a lot based on how many people we expect to attend, she said. Village Inn Restaurant on Ridgeway Avenue provides pumpkin pies, which are, quote, consistently delicious. They make a significant donation, and church members contribute, too, Mueller said. Dolly's Transportation has had a long-standing partnership with the church to provide transportation for guests. Drivers are invited to join the meal. Quote, the community dinner is one of the central projects for the mission committee. The committee works with dollars to reinvest in the community, and this is one of the projects. Cost of food has increased significantly. Church members pitch in with their dollars and hours of service, and we welcome contributions, Mueller added. In another front page article, Donald A. Promnitz of The Courier writes, Reporters, Icy Remarks, and Internet Sensation. Mark Woodley Snark draws 5 million views. When KWWL-TV sports reporter Mark Woodley went out to cover Thursday's blizzard, he knew he was in for a rough night, but he didn't know he'd become an overnight sensation. With all the games he was set to cover snowed out, Woodley was assigned to do the early morning weather instead. Running on three hours of sleep, Woodley was not shy about letting his colleagues and viewers know he was well out of his comfort zone. Quote, I normally do sports. Everything is canceled here for the next couple of days, so what better time to ask the sports guy to come in about five hours earlier than he normally wakes up, go stand out in the wind and the snow and the cold, and tell other people not to do the same, Woodley griped on air. Quote, I didn't realize there was a 3.30 also in the morning until today, end quote. Woodley put together a supercut of that footage taken from 14 spots between 4.30 a.m. and 8.30 a.m. Thursday, thinking it would be something for his family and friends to enjoy. At the insistence of his sister-in-law, he put it on Twitter. Expecting the 20 to 30 likes he normally gets, he was stunned to find it went viral with over 5 million views, getting picked up by celebrities like film director Judd Apatow and basketball great Rex Chapman. Then his phone blew up with requests for interviews from the Washington Post, TMZ, and the Today Show. Quote, it's been insane. I could have never, ever imagined this happening, 
And the funny thing is, you always wonder, maybe I'll make it big someday. What am I going to be known for? Woodley said. And crotchety old weather reporter was never on my list of things I thought I'd be getting famous for. End quote. Raygun, an Iowa clothing retailer with a store in Cedar Falls, also got in on the video's popularity, creating shirts emblazoned with snippets like Mark Woodley, Sports and Blizzards, and The Outdoors is Not Heated. A portion of the proceeds will go to the Cedar Bend Humane Society. Despite the snarky candor contained in the clip, Woodley says the station has been overwhelmingly supportive of him and is enjoying the attention he's brought, perhaps even more than he is. However, Woodley noted that the blizzard was no joke and he was taking the job seriously and professionally. Quote, the one thing I want people to know is the supercut video that was on Twitter, that was like the trailer of a bad comedy movie. Woodley said, all the funny parts were those 90 seconds and the rest of the report was very serious, end quote. Woodley says he has no expectations his newfound popularity will be long-term, but he's enjoyed his 15 minutes all the same. Quote, I imagined, for the most part, this is going to die down in the next couple of days and I'll be forgotten in a few days, he said. But man, it's been super fun, end quote. Another front page article in today's Courier is titled Immense Sense of Pride. Iowa Farm, owned by same black family with Waterloo ties, 158 years. The 1944 article in the Iowa Farm Register reported Todd Western Sr. was a well-respected black farmer in Mahaska County, where his grandparents first purchased land in 1864. One photo shows Betty Lou Western, age 8, pausing while milking a cow to listen to her father, wearing bib overalls and holding a milking pail. In another, Grace Western and her other children, Charlene, aged 5, Joyce, aged 3, and Todd Jr., aged 1, posed with freshly canned fruit. There was an element of marvel about this prosperous black farm family in the 1940s when only 0.06% of Iowa farms were owned by non-white people, according to the Iowa Agricultural Census. More than 70 years later, in the 2017 Ag Census, the share of non-white farmers in Iowa is still less than 1%. The Westerns still own that farm, making it one of only about 1,700 heritage farms, owned by the same people 150 years or more, in Iowa and likely the only one owned by a black family. Quote, pride was something we had, said Charlene Montgomery, born Charlene Western, aged 84, of Waterloo. We were better off than many of the families we went to school with. Mom and Dad always helped us understand who we were. I saw myself on par with whoever I was around, if not a half peg above, because my family owned land, End quote. Since the family no longer lives in New Sharon in Mahaska County, they lease the original farmland and instead grow corn and soybeans on 35 acres east of Waterloo. These days, the Westerns working the land are brothers Todd Western III, aged 56, of Maple Grove, Minnesota, Christopher Western, aged 51, of Cedar Falls, and Adam Western of Bloomington, Minnesota. Matriarch Barbara Western, a retired music teacher, lives in Waterloo, is the chief executive officer. They harvested corn November 19th. Quote, it was a blessed event, Todd Western III said November 30th. Mom just sold it yesterday, and I think we got 6,000 bushels. 
We needed more, but it works. End quote. Settling in Iowa. Thomas Western, born in 1800 in Virginia, moved from Ohio to Iowa in 1864 with his wife Susanna and their children. Montgomery believes her great-grandfather bought his family out of slavery with the help of some Quakers. It was the middle of the Civil War in which Iowa supported the Union Army by sending food, supplies, and 76,000 soldiers, more than any other state in relation to population, according to Iowa PBS. The Western family bought 80 acres of Iowa farmland near New Sharon, about 30 miles south of Grinnell, adding another 80 acres in 1886. The 1875 Mahaska County Plat book shows the name T. Western on a quarter section in Union Township. In the 1870 Agricultural Census, Western reported he had five horses, two milk cows, and a dozen hogs, according to a report compiled in 2012 with help from Mary Bennett of the Iowa Historical Society. Western reported raising 400 bushels of wheat in 1869, along with 800 bushels of Indian corn, 500 bushels of oats, 50 bushes, bushels of Irish potatoes, and five tons of hay for livestock feed. Quote, some indication of the contribution made by the women of the family is evident in the 100 pounds of butter that they had churned in 1869, and they were likely involved in producing the 20 gallons of molasses reported for that year, the report notes. Quote, the value of all farm crops reported by the family was $682, which was slightly above an average of $584.60 for 10 of their closest neighbors, end quote. Thomas Western, who died in 1878, handed down the farm to sons George and Kossuth, who worked the land together, Montgomery said. Kossuth Western, born in 1855, was named after Lajos Kossuth, a Hungarian political reformer who led Hungary's efforts to gain independence from Austria in 1848 and 1849. The Hungarian also inspired the Iowa legislature to name a county after him in 1851. Quote, Kossuth's exploits to free his country in 1848 to 1849 stirred the emotions of the people of the United States, and his struggle for freedom was the reason that the Iowa legislature felt it would be fitting to name a newly created county in his honor. The Kossuth County Economic Development Corporation reported on its website. A Western family photo, likely from the 1910s, shows Kossuth Western and his wife Clara Moore Lucas Western with their children Francis, Todd, Alma, Myra, and Lena Lucas Benning, a daughter from Clara's previous marriage. Rural Life Francis, Todd, and Alma Western inherited the farm, Montgomery said, but Todd Western Sr. bought his sister's shares. Myra died in 1922 at age 17 of pneumonia. Todd Western Sr. married Grace Jeffers, who was from Buxton, a southeast Iowa mining town unique for its mix of African Americans, Swedes, and other Eastern Europeans who lived peacefully in mixed neighborhoods. By September 17, 1944, the couple was raising 40 head of cattle, 80 hogs, 20 sheep, and 8 milk cows, the Iowa Farm Register reported. Quote, the crop plan on this farm this year 
is 53 acres of corn, 25 acres of oats, 10 acres of soybeans, 30 acres of hay, 22 acres of clover, and 8 of alfalfa. The first hay crops, crops yielded 28 tons, the article states. It was the first year Western Senior used commercial fertilizer, the newspaper noted. He, quote, hasn't tried planting on the contours, but is interested in this, end quote, because of the rolling hills on his land. Daughters Betty Lou, Charlene, and Joyce all were born on the farm with the help of a midwife, Montgomery said. We teased Todd because he was born in the hospital, she said. The girls went to a country school through eighth grade, then switched to Lacey High School, where they all played sports. They would milk cows at 6 a.m., go to school, come home to milk again at 4 p.m., then return to school for practice, said Joyce Cook, born Joyce Western, aged 81, of Las Vegas. The girls did the garden work, growing green beans, melons, sweet potatoes, and sweet corn. They raised feeder hogs to earn money for college. Quote, Betty had the courage to leave first, Montgomery said. She went to business school, end quote. Betty Lou Smith, born Betty Lou Western, of 86, aged 86, of Waverly, was a secretary and then worked for the telephone company for 34 years, first doing customer service and then human resources, before retiring in 1995. Montgomery and Cook both graduated from William Penn College in Oskaloosa and became teachers, one of the few professions open to black women in the 1960s. They had to start at small rural districts, which struggled to find teachers because urban districts would not hire them. Montgomery got a job in the Southeast Warren School District where the superintendent had delivered newspapers to the Western family and vouched for her. On the first day of school, quote, my classroom line was clear to the parking lot so everyone could see the new teacher, Montgomery said. The sisters both ended up teaching in the Waterloo Community Schools, from which Montgomery retired in 1998. Cook served as a guidance counselor in Las Vegas from 1997 to 2014. Although the women did not inherit the family farm, their parents paid for them to go to college and instilled in them a love for education. Quote, we never had to have loans. Our parents would always tell us, you have to get an education because you can't, they can't take that away from you, Cook said. We passed that on from generation to generation, end quote. Handing down the farm. Todd Western Jr., born in 1943, was the only boy and got the job of driving the tractor, Cook said. He attended North Mahaska High School in New Sharon, where he participated in sports and music. He was also senior class president. State Senator Ken Rosenboom, a Republican from Oskaloosa, remembers meeting Todd Western in the early 1960s when Rosenboom was between 10 and 12 years old and Todd Jr. was 18 or 19. Rosenboom was spending the afternoon visiting the farm of a church friend who lived down the road from the Westerns. The boys walked over to say hello. Quote, in rural Iowa, it was unusual to see a black man, Rosenboom said. That was probably the first time I saw a black family on an Iowa farm. That's probably why I remember it, end quote. Todd Western Jr. went to William Penn and the University of Northern Iowa, where he met Barbara Gordon. They married in 1966 after Todd was done serving in the U.S. Army. They moved to Waterloo in 1968, and Todd Jr. started working as a process engineer at John Deere, his wife said. 
but he would go back and help his father on the farm whenever he could. Quote, he was homesick for farming, Barbara Western said. When Todd Western Sr. died of cancer in 1974, the farm passed to his wife and then to his son. For two planting seasons, Todd Western Jr. and Barbara Western loaded up their farming equipment and young sons and drove two hours from Waterloo to Mahaska County. They slept in a mobile home at the farm, driving back to Waterloo each Monday morning so Todd Jr. could shower and return to work at Deer. Todd Western Jr.'s work ethic would also could be seen in his training for and running 17 marathons, often logging miles after 10 p.m. when work was done. He died July 30, 2008, at age 64, when he was training for his 13th Chicago mar Marathon. Police found him in a ditch with his bicycle, which he often rode to the West High School track to run late at night. Police said it was a bicycle accident, although Barbara Western still wonders exactly how he died. Closer to home. In the 1970s, the Westerns purchased 35 acres on what was then called Sheep Hill Farm, just east of Waterloo. To this day, when Todd Western III and Christopher Western plant and harvest, they feel close to their father. Quote, some people visit cemeteries to think of their loved ones, Christopher Western said. I like to come out here and think of my dad, end quote. Christopher Western, a city planner, knows how to fix things on the farm, just like his dad, while Todd Western III's business skills come from their mom. But it's stressful operating a farm on top of a day job. Todd Western III, a donor advisor for United Way, balances coaching high school football in Minneapolis with farming in Iowa, which often means staying up late on fall Friday nights, sleeping a few hours, and then getting on the road south. Quote, I've had people upset me that have said, why don't you just rent this out? Christopher Western said of the Black Hawk County farm. Quote, that wouldn't have done him, their father, justice for how hard he worked. I'm sure he's very proud of us that we came together and kept this going. End quote. Barbara Western, a Chicago native, and the, said she first, quote, learned to be an Iowa farmer's wife, end quote, and then learned to be the farm, quote, facilitator, end quote, after her husband's death. Now, she doesn't hesitate to drive to the grain elevator in Duar or meet with Iowa State University Extension officers to learn about grants. Barbara had a barn built and bought a new combine this year. She's also the one to take the family to Red Lobster or buy ribs after a long work day. On October 22nd, the family's first attempt this fall at harvest with the Westerns all wore matching shirts. Todd Western III and his son, Todd Western IV, did a first pass with a new combine, then made adjustments because it dropped too many ears of corn. Todd Western III's wife, Angela, and their daughter, Addison, age nine, drove down the row on a four-wheeler with a bucket to pick up the nubby yellow ears. Because the moisture levels in the corn kernels were too high, the family decided to wait to harvest until November. Todd Western IV, age 33, works in advertising in the Twin Cities, where he's trying his hand at urban farming by growing green beans and microgreens in the summer. He thinks more young black people would pursue farming as a career if they had apprenticeships. He hopes to keep the family farm going strong for his children, Hadley, age 10, and Todd V, age 6 months. Quote, it's an immense sense of pride, he said, of the Western Family Heritage Farm. That's why we have legacy on the back of our shirts. End quote. The Cedar News Valley page of today's courier is titled 
merry, and bright. Neighborhoods lit up with Christmas decor spread holiday cheer. Christmas cheer is on full display throughout Waterloo as the holiday arrives. While many homeowners tend to keep things simple, like a single strand of lights along the gutters or having the Christmas tree in the front window as their centerpiece, many just can't have enough lights. Whether it's one or a dozen, tall inflatables are a popular choice for decoration, Frosty the Snowman being the obvious choice for most. The Grinch is also well represented. Some neighborhoods or blocks appear to work together, often having complementary decorations. Many homes on Woodstock Road have similar three-foot-tall light decorations spiraled into the shape of a Christmas tree. Even as the snow and wind began to pick up on Wednesday evening, drivers couldn't help but get out of their cars and take pictures of the bigger displays, such as a home on Prospect Boulevard with Santa and his reindeer on the roof and dozens of lighted figures on the lawn. With displays, big or small, Waterloo residents are enjoying the holiday spirit. And this photo is accompanied, this essay is accompanied by a series of home photos. One including a large white house with columns draped with um, greenery and lights and lighted reindeers with Santa's sleigh on the roof. Another photo shows a large inflatable roof, Grinch, and uh, inflatable candles mirroring the columns on the front door and a large wreath in front of the house, all lit for Christmas. Another photograph shows a stately home on Prospect Boulevard with white lights across its roof and eaves and white lights on the evergreens outside. A final picture shows a home on Olympic Drive in which the home is bathed in red and green lights and red and green lights adorn the roof line and there's a large wreath on the garage. And in This Week in Iowa, this is a recap of news across the state from the past seven days. Politicians lessen Trump referrals. Republicans in Iowa's congressional delegation downplayed the decision of the U.S. House's January 6th committee to make criminal referrals to the U.S. Justice Department over former President Donald Trump. The committee recommended charges over Trump's role in the January 6, 2021 Capitol riot, including conspiracy to defraud the federal government and obstruction of an official proceeding. Spokespeople for Representative Ashley Hinson and Senator Joni Ernst both said the committee's actions were a distraction from the issues affecting everyday Iowans. A spokesperson for Grassley said the Justice Department frequently ignores criminal referrals. They did not say the actions described by the committee disqualify Trump from holding the presidency again, and rather said voters and Iowans as the first in the nation Republican caucus state should decide the party's nominee. Reynolds calls to end federal pandemic emergency. Governor Kim Reynolds joined 24 other Republican governors to call on President Joe Biden to end the federal COVID-19 public health emergency. The governors told the White House that, quote, the emergency phase of the pandemic is behind us, end quote, in a letter. Biden has extended the public health emergency until at least January 11th. Water projects coming to Iowa. A federal act outlining projects in flood prevention and water-based research and development will bring new projects to Iowa. 
The legislation adds flood protections for a Des Moines area levy and brings federal Cedar Rapids flood protection plans in line with city plans. It also authorizes studies along the Mississippi and Missouri rivers. COVID cases fall. After several weeks trending upward, Iowa COVID-19 cases were down slightly in the week ending Wednesday. The state reported 3,493 new cases this week, compared to 3,704 cases the previous week. Hospitalizations from the virus increased to 272, up from 256 the previous week. Iowa Democratic Party Chair to Step Down Iowa Democratic Party Chair Grass Wilburn will step down as the party's leader, he announced last weekend, after the party faced a drubbing in the November election and lost its first-in-the-nation caucus status. Wilburn was the first black chair of either major party in Iowa, and he said the opportunity to leave the party was, quote, an honor of a lifetime, end quote. The party will hold elections in January for a new chair. Over the weekend, state Democrats praised Wilburn's work with the party and his efforts to keep Iowa as the first state in the presidential election for Democrats. And relating to this week's $1.7 trillion omnibus spending, spending bill, Republican U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley voted to advance it, saying, quote, If you don't move this or a continuing resolution, you're going to shut down government, and I don't think you should shut down government. End quote. U.S. Representative Ashley Hinson, on the other hand, announced she would vote no on the omnibus bill, saying, quote, The omnibus does not secure our border. It undermines immigration enforcement and further incentivizes illegal immigration. The omnibus was a missed opportunity to secure our border and end this Biden-made crisis. We won't stop fighting for border security. End quote. You are listening to the reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Christmas Day, Sunday, December 25th, 2022, on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Disabled. Now let's turn to today's obituaries. And there are no obituaries in today's edition of the Courier. However, the parade section of today's Courier includes um, a brief remembrance of world and national figures uh, who passed away in 2022. Those include Queen Elizabeth II, who lived from April 21st, 1926 to September 8th, 2022. Angela Lansbury, who lived October 16th, excuse me, Angela Lansbury, who lived October 16th, 1925 through October 11th, 2022. Sidney Poitier, who lived February 20th, 1927 through January 6th, 2022. Bob Saget, who lived May 17th, 1956 through January 9th, 2022. Olivia Newton-John, who lived September 26, 1948 through August 8, 2022. Kirstie Alley, who lived January 12, 1951 through December 5, 2022. Loretta Lynn, who lived April 14, 1932 through October 4, 2022 and Jerry Lee Lewis, who lived September 29, 1935 through October 28, 
1922. Today's Courier does, however, include celebrations, including recognition of Betty Spence as she celebrates her 90th birthday. She'll be having an open house at Bridges Senior Living on Washington Street in Waterloo. That open house is December 26th from 11.30 to 1.30 p.m. The event is being hosted by Ron, Rhonda, and Ken. No invitations are being sent. The honoree requests no gifts. You may send a card to Betty, however, at 214 Washington Street, apartment 910. Today's Courier also recognizes Rita Schmidt on her retirement from the Black Hawk County Treasurer's Office. She's worked in that office for 47 years. She was elected Black Hawk County Treasurer in 2010 and has served three terms. Rita is retiring after 47 years. Her official retirement date is December 30th. Cards may be sent to her at 124 Thelma Street in Hudson, 50643. There's also a card shower underway for Jeanette Kalkwarf Ullman, who will celebrate her 90th birthday. She was born January 4, 1933, the daughter of John and Helen Kalkwarf. The card shower is being hosted by her children, Sherry, Dennis, David, and Lance. Cards can be sent to 502 13th Street, Applington, Iowa, 50604. Another milestone is Douglas Sturch's 60th birthday on January 9th, 2023. He also is having a card shower with, to celebrate this milestone. Birthday wishes can be sent to Douglas at 1121 Bobby Lane in Waterloo, 50701. And Proud Image Chorus presented a check for $8,000 to House of Hope. This is 100% of the proceeds from the December 4th benefit concert, A Barbershop Christmas. Turning to local sports news, Ethan Petrick writes, High standards set for rookie Erdman. Erdman already has hat trick in first season with Blackhawks. Griffin Erdman already managed to fill his first season in the United States Hockey League with plenty of success as the Waterloo Blackhawks after just 23 games. However, from an individual standpoint, that was not always the case. After making some noise with goals in each of Waterloo's first two games, Erdman did not find the back of the net for the next 12 games. Quote, I went through a 10 to 12 game stretch where I was not scoring, was not producing, Erdman said. It is definitely hard going through that, end quote. Waterloo assistant coach and former Blackhawk Brett Olson said it can be difficult at first for players to adjust to the speed and pace of the game at the USHL level. He added this can be especially be the case when coming from a prep level as opposed to a low tier of junior hockey, as Erdman did. Quote, when you get to the USHL, those are the types of things that you are dealing with, Olson said. Quote, understanding that it is not just a couple guys on each team that are really good. A lot of the teams are built right from the top down, so the competition level is much higher. Knowing that Erdman holds a high standard for himself, Olson said the coaching staff knew what he would bring on the ice each night, regardless of his production in the final box score. Quote, he is an energizer bunny, Olson said. He plays with a little grit and definitely leads the way with his performances most nights, doing the right thing, 
kind of a lead-by-action deal for him, end quote. Olson added that this did not change during the forward's rough patch. Quote, Griff is one guy that is not afraid to wear his emotion on his sleeve, Olson said. That is a good thing to have at times, and sometimes it can be a bad thing because you can overthink the situation. The nice thing with him was even though he was not scoring, it was not affecting other parts of his games. End quote. On November 26th, Erdman started to break out of his rough stretch with a goal against Cedar Rapids. Two games later, he managed an assist against Sioux Falls. Then, Erdman erupted for a hat trick plus an assist to lead the Blackhawks to a win over a Dupaco Cowbell Cup rival, the Des Moines Buccaneers. A rare feat, according to Olson, Erdman's four-point outing set up Patrick Geary for a game-winning goal in overtime, giving Waterloo its 12th win of the season. Quote, to have a game like that with three goals is always nice, Olson said. There are not too many games where you are scoring hat tricks at this level, end quote. An important performance in terms of team success, Erdman said it also helped grow his confidence, although he called himself, quote, fortunate, end quote, because his teammates put the puck right on his tape. Quote, it was a big confidence-wise, Erdman said. I was fortunate to have the puck bounce my way and capitalize on a few of them. Internally, it is really nice because you worked so hard for so long. It is nice to get results, end quote. With 11 points and the Hawks sitting in third in the Western Conference at 14 and 9 and 0 and 0, Erdman heads home for the holidays pleased with his time in the Hawkeye State thus far. Quote, we've had an excellent start so far, Erdman said. We are really starting to click. We had that seven-game win streak that was really fun to be a part of. It has been a great start, a lot of work to go, end quote. Erdman continued that there is a lot for himself and the Blackhawks to build on in the final 40 games of the season. The goal for the remainder of the season? Quote, win the Clark Cup, Erdman said. We have the group to do it. We have the talent to do it. Everyone in our locker room is excited about the opportunity in the second half of the season to get it done, end quote. Today's sports section also includes a series of memorable moments written by John Marshall of the Associated Press. On the courts, he highlights in the NBA, the Golden State Warriors regained their past magic and solidified their dynasty with a fourth NBA title in eight years, the first since 2018. Steph Curry was again the catalyst, solidifying his claim as the greatest shooter in NBA history with another dynamic performance. In women's college hoops, South Carolina did something no other team had been able to accomplish, handling UConn's Gino Auriemma his first loss in 12 national title games. On the ice, the Colorado Avalanche cranked up the Wayback Machine, winning their first Stanley Cup title since 2001 by beating the reigning champion Tampa Bay Lightning in six games. The uber-talented core that suffered through early postseason exits looks like a group that could be more than one and done with the cup. On the gridiron, Marshall shouts out the college football playoff in which Georgia knocked off Alabama and Nick Saban for the program's first national championship in 41 years. The Winter Olympics in Beijing, still grappling with the effects of the pandemic, saw American figure skater Nathan Chen earn gold after his flameout at the Pyeongchang Games four years earlier. Lindsay Jacobellis, long known for her blunder at the 2006 Torino Games, finally won gold in Snowborn Cross and added an 
another in the mixed team event. On the fairways, on the PGA Tour, the young guys moved to the forefront. Scotty Scheffler won the Masters, Justin Thomas the PGA Championship, Matt Fitzpatrick took the U.S. Open, and Cameron Smith won the British Open, the first time all majors were won by players under 30 in the same year. And off the field. In Phoenix, Sarver made news for all the wrong reasons. He was suspended one year and fined $10 million on September 13th by the NBA over workplace misconduct that included racist speech and hostile behavior toward employers, employees. Sarver then announced his intention to sell the team. Let's turn now to the opinion section of today's Courier. In letters to the editor, Larry Van Oort of Cedar Falls writes, Secret to Happiness. An old friend once told me happiness requires three things, something to do, someone to love, and something to hope for. Reflecting upon his advice over the years, he's right. Reflecting upon his advice in today's America and world, postmodernist government bureaucrats and politicians lying to and manipulating us citizens for their own monetary gain and power, it seems unsustainable, if not unattainable. Something to do, that would involve physical and mental effort, work. It's becoming less and less encouraged or admired. Billions of borrowed money handed out to just about everyone and organization. Reparations for whatever and universal income to all are becoming the so-called admired norm. Why work? Someone to love. Sacred love. When two people's values aligned for mutual happiness, whether between heterosexuals or homosexuals, worked. Today, kids are being persuaded by valueless so-called adults to reject their sexual identity, leading to destruction of self-worth. What does that do to our nation's sense of individual freedom and love of country? Something to hope for. If there is little value in doing quality, rewarding work or in seeking genuine, identity-sure, lifelong love, what's to hope for? Open borders? Trillions more debt? Inflation? Broken homes? Chinese Communist Party takeover? Again, this is the opinion of Larry Van Oort of Cedar Falls. Mary Sue Ellinger of Waverly writes, CF, class of 63. The Cedar Falls High School class of 1963 is claiming Phil Parages of one of our own. The wonderful feature article about Phil in yesterday's Courier, in an article titled Booked by Fate, December 18th, stated that Phil was in the class of 1962. I just talked to Phil, and he assured me that he submitted 1963 as his graduation year from CFHS. Thanks for helping set the record straight. Signed, Mary Sue Ellinger of Waverly. Ellen Elaine Main, Waverly Public Library trustee, writes resolutions. 10 fun New Year resolutions to try. Find the best space in the Waverly Public Library to browse a book. Visit the library at 3.30 p.m. on an early out Wednesday. Ask a youngster who Emily is. Challenge yourself to participate in a program. Page through a magazine you didn't know existed. Stand at the garden windows to count the winter birds. See if the snowshoes are checked out. Learn what a graphic novel is. Get that item that you've wanted from the friend's shop. And finally, thank a librarian. This from Elaine Main, Waverly Public Library trustee. 
Jane Tiford of Cedar Falls writes, Senator Joni Ernst is quoted in the Sunday Courier as saying, quote, In our Iowa Army National Guard alone, we've lost 51 service members since Biden ordered this COVID vaccine mandate. This is a clear readiness issue for our forces, end quote. Attributing deaths to COVID vaccine is beyond stupid. The question should be how many would have died if there had been no mandate for vaccines. Signed, Jane Tiford of Cedar Falls. Today's opinion page also includes a column by Rick Ho-Ho Horowitz, who leads Carol's Carolers in Singing to the Year in Politics. Here's a sampling. I will not be singing, but I think you can get the idea. Georgia Blunderland, sung to the melody of Winter Wonderland. Label Sting, Herschel Hurdum, who's to blame? Trump preferred him. He used to run fast, but so does his past. Walkers in a Georgia Blunderland. Folks could tell he was lacking. Raphael sent him packing. It only gets worse, because Donald's a curse for Walker in a Georgia Blunderland. Another, Rooting for Ukraine Deer, sung to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. We're rooting for Ukraine Deer, Russia's, who we must oppose. Cheering for brave Zelensky, admiration overflows. We send them tons of weapons, making Putin pay a price. We're watching from a distance. They're the ones who sacrifice. How about Good Queen, Liz- Good Queen Elizabeth, sung to Good King Wenceslas? Good Queen Elizabeth bows out, such devoted service. Charles steps up to wear the crown, everybody's nervous. Britain finds him less than warm, finds his manner grating. Meanwhile, just around the bend, a future king is way 18. How about Nancy Pelosi, sung to Frosty the Snowman? Nancy Pelosi was the toughest one of all, with her pinks and blues and her high-heeled shoes, standing firm and standing tall. So many decades, now it's time to step aside for a younger team, for a fresher dream. What a long and stylish ride. Today's living section includes an on-gardening column by Norman Wintern of the Tribune News Service titled, Toucan Cannas Will Have You Singing Melekolikimaka in July. Christmas week and the Arctic blast put dread in the hearts of most gardeners in the South. But remembering the bold, vibrant toucan cannas put a spring into my step and gave me an idea of what we can all do to celebrate, create tropic paradise this spring. Before the Arctic blast, the garden guy in Georgia had gingers still intact, rock and salvias blooming and even some soprano impatience with flowers but 16 degrees Fahrenheit and 20 to 30 mile per hour wind doesn't bode well for any lush herbaceous plant life. It also doesn't help the mood of a garden writer. But while some might not have been able to go to the islands for Christmas or even to vacation last summer, know that this spring we can make our yards, our patios, and or even just one mixed container look like the tropics. We can indeed have our little corner of paradise. If you were wondering where to start, I would point you to the award-winning Toucan Kennas. 
You may be surprised to know that the company that brings you Supertunia Petunias, Superbells, Calabrochoas, and Superbina Verbenas has put together the most outstanding cannas under the Proven Winners and Proven Selections label. Last year, I grew Toucan Dark Orange, and it was everything I had hoped for and more. It bloomed all summer at just the right height. I combined it with the Color Blaze Lime Time Coleus for a festival look. I was beyond thrilled to have bees and butterflies hitting on it daily. Oddly, I saw red-banded hair streaks and cloudless sulfur butterflies feeding on them on multiple occasions, and even together, too. The Toucan series has four color options. In addition to dark orange, there is scarlet, yellow, and a coral that offers the garden what I consider to be the rarest and hardest color to find. If orange is too gaudy for you, then tone it down with toucan coral. Proven Winners also has developed a recipe that screams paradise found. The recipe is called Back in the Day, and you will find it searching their site for toucan coral. Obviously, it features toucan coral canna as the thriller, but it also includes four new 2023 releases. Graceful Grasses, Queen Tut Papyrus as a totally different textured co-thriller, Supertunia Persimmon Pertunia, Color Blaze Mini Me Watermelon Coleus, and Luscious Lemon Tart Lantana. If you have ever promised yourself you would try a recipe, this is where you should start. Regardless of the variety you choose, the best blooming will occur in full sun, though partial shade is certainly tolerated. While the plants can thrive in soggy conditions, they will be more cold-hardy and fertile in well-drained soils. You can expect them to be perennial in zones 7 through 7. In colder regions, consider digging the rhizomes for storage and growing in containers that will allow them to be tucked inside the garage for the dormant season. This article is accompanied by a color, a picture of a toucan dark orange canna and color blame line, color blaze lime coleus, which do create a very festive red and green image. Let's dive briefly into today in history. Today's highlight, on December 25th, 1776, General George Washington and his troops crossed the Delaware River for a surprise attack against Hessian forces at Trenton, New Jersey during the American Revolutionary War. Going back a bit further, on this date in AD 336, the first known commemoration of Christmas on December 25th took place in Rome. In 1066, William the Conqueror was crowned King of England. In 1818, Silent Night, more accurately the original German Stille Nacht, was publicly performed for the first time during the Christmas Midnight Mass at the Church of St. Nicholas in Oberndorf, Austria. In 1946, comedian W.C. Fields died in Pasadena at the age of 66. In 1977, comedian Sir Charles Chaplin died in Switzerland at the age of 88. And in 1991, Soviet President Mikhail S. Gorbachev went on television to announce his resignation as the eighth and final leader of a communist superpower that had already gone out of existence. In today's Ask Amy column, Difficult divorce leads to rude ghosting by ex. Dear Amy, my ex-husband and I had a difficult, drawn-out divorce after 26 years of marriage, 
with eight years of unhappiness and zero sex. And no, the lack of sex and fighting over money were due to him, not me. After the divorce, I moved back to the Midwest, moved in with my dear parents, struggled to restart my career, and have moved on with healthy activities and friendships relationships over the past decade. Our children are all adults now, and the ex and I are brought together more often due to births, weddings, etc. But he continues to totally ghost me. He never greets me, never directs a word toward me, or even looks at me. My friends and daughter tell me, just ignore him. He wants nothing to do with you. This is still hurtful to me after all this time. I still send him birthday cards, emails, and notes once in a while. How do you recommend I deal with this? Signed, X'd out. Dear X'd out, ghosting is some when someone basically ceases all contact. If you didn't reach out to your ex with birthday cards and other messages, you wouldn't feel quite so ghosted because every time you reach out, you're triggering an expectation that your contact will inspire your ex to react or respond. You need to stop. Yes, it is extremely rude for him to be in your presence at a family event and to act as if you don't exist, but he doesn't want to have anything to do with you, and he is trying mightily not to have anything to do with you. I suggest that you should attempt to cordially share space with him during family events, greeting him verbally and being neutra behaving neutrally otherwise. In short, yes, ignore him. Dear Amy, as a retired minister, I occasionally am asked to leave funeral services or weddings. Most pastors do not charge a set fee for such services, but typically receive an honorarium. In the past year, I prepared and led several funerals and a wedding. I received nothing for one of the funerals and less than $100 for the wedding. Comparing that so-called gift to the thousands spent on venue, clothing, entertainment, drinks, and dinner, I could not help but feel as if my work was totally unvalued. The amount received didn't even cover my mileage. Of course, no matter what the price, I put my heart into these services of worship, but they demand hard work and lots of time, and pastors do have expenses. I will not set a fee because I am willing to serve those whose financial resources are truly limited. Any suggestions? Signed, Puzzled Pastor. Dear Puzzled, it seems to me that as a retired minister, you should actually charge for conducting a service. You are essentially a pastor for hire, able to accept or decline requests that come your way. My theory is that if most people simply do not know if or how pastors are compensated for extra services, and they believe it is too awkward to inquire. When you receive that first inquiry, you should say, state, quote, I charge X to perform a wedding service. This includes meetings with a couple in advance of the ceremony, conducting the rehearsal, and the wedding ceremony itself, end quote. For a funeral, you might state, I normally charge X to perform a funeral service. Would this present an additional hardship for you? If so, I would be willing to reduce or waive my fee. End quote. And that does it for the Christmas Day reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier on December 25th, 2022. I'm your reader, Paula Carezzi. You can access a recording of today's reading on our website, iowaradioreading.org. Thank you for listening.